G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Wednesday, we like to address your questions around Christians and money. 1-800-316-316 if you have a finance question for Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose. Alex, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you again. Alex, let's before we get into talking about preparing financially when you're starting a family, a couple of questions from listeners that have come through over this past week. One from Fiona who asks the question, why debt collectors assume you don't want to pay? Uh, have you got a response for Fiona? <laughs> well, look, I think one of the, the issues with debt collectors is that when they start calling people, they're very, you know, they can be very, very aggressive, and that's probably why there's a sense that you know they don't think you're going to pay. I mean, also, it's partly from the fact that because by the time it gets to the debt collection phase, uh, many people haven't paid and are often trying to evade that thing. So I think there's just an assumption uh, inbuilt into it. Um, however, the, probably the, the real reason behind it is the way debt collection works is that many of the debt collection companies, they buy the debts off the company. So they might go to a, you know, a phone company and the phone company will say, here's all the people that have defaulted. The phone, uh, the debt collection company will buy those debts off that company and then they'll go and collect them. Okay, so they might pay, and I don't know what the figures are, they might pay 25 cents in the dollar for each of the debts and then they're gonna start chasing people and chasing the money for 50 cents back, if not a full, the full dollar if they can get their hands on it. Um, so debt collection you know, is outsourced by all the big companies. And so these debt collection companies have a massive uh, financial incentive uh, to pursue you to get the money back because they're going to make money out of it. So that's, uh, that's the reason why they uh, tend to be quite aggressive. Okay, uh, so if debt collectors are wanting to make a profit themselves, they tend to get a little aggressive because that's where their profit is coming from. Hey, we'll just work through a couple of these fairly quickly. Another question to tackle uh, from the past week, uh, one from Mike who says, Hi Alex, does the government mandate that an inheritance goes to nearest relatives, especially spouse and children. Of course, we've been talking about uh, the way you might have a will and uh, do some preparation around your estate. Uh, What would your thoughts be for Mike around uh, those issues of family? Yeah, look, it's a very important question. So uh, if you have a will, then so long as the, the will is legal and valid, uh, then there'll be no problem with you making the decisions uh, as to how your funds will be dispersed on your on your passing. So you get to decide that through your will. Where the problems occur is when you don't have a will, that is you die what they call intestate, uh, and then your assets will be then dispersed according to a state-based formula. So if you're living in you know, Queensland or New South Wales, you could go onto a state government website and it will tell you uh, how they'll be dispersed in the event that you don't have a will. Um, so that's 
that's the only time the government mandates it. Um, obviously, then there's legal avenues and so forth. So, for example, uh, wills get challenged, and they get challenged a lot these days. Uh, and so in that event, then obviously a, a judge will decide how those funds are to be dispersed in the event of a dispute. Um, but generally, a judge will look very closely at the will and honour the will um, from what I've seen. It's only if there's a really obvious error being made that a judge would change the intent of the will because ultimately, from a legal standpoint, uh, the person whose money it was uh, ultimately really should get to decide as to how that money is dispersed. Um, yeah, so in other words, long and short of it is the government doesn't mandate it unless you do not have a will in place. Okay, that's the importance of having a will. A talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 if you've got a question for Alex Cook. Uh, Alex, uh, while we're waiting for any questions to come through, uh, the thoughts around starting a family. And, uh, you know, for lots of listeners, they'll have already been through this and perhaps already have their own family. Others will be thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of starting a family. Uh, what do we, where do we start when we talk about how we prepare financially when starting a family? Yeah, look, it's a fascinating area. I say there's two parts to this. One is uh, the discussions that you need to have before you even get married, um, because one thing I've always been amazed by is that uh, a lot of couples, they get married and they've never had um, what I would call serious conversations about certain areas of their life. So for example, they haven't had conversations about money uh, in any meaningful way. And in particular, you know, how many children are you gonna have and what kind of schooling are you gonna send your kids to? Because obviously financially, uh, there's a radical difference between public schooling and private schooling, potentially in the total cost over the over the you know the length of the, the child's uh, younger years, so it can be massive differences. So those are, those are all the things you need to discuss before you even get married, so you, you know where your your future spouse stands. But once you you are married and you're, you're thinking about starting a family, there's a couple of key things uh, that you need to have in place. So for example, if you want to have your own obstetrician and things like that, you want to have private health insurance in place. Uh, before you get pregnant because a lot of the private insurance uh, companies will have uh, waiting periods and so you will not be covered if you do not have it in place first up. So that's the first one. The second thing is when you're starting a family, you're going to go down to one income and this is the thing that I see uh, very, very common and particularly at the moment where you've got absurd house prices uh, is the fact that many people buy a house, you know, a young couple, they've just got married, they want to buy their first home in the first few years of marriage uh, and so they buy a house on the basis of two incomes. And then of course, the uh, good news of God's blessing comes along that you're going to have a, have a child in, in nine months uh, and then you go to yourself, hmm, now we've got to pay a mortgage but we're down to one income. And so that's, a, that's when the financial stress can kick in uh, because all of a sudden you're down to one income and you then start asking yourself, oh, you know, I'm going to have to go back to work, you know, within two or three months of the baby being born and all that kind of thing. Now, to me, what you want to do here is try and avoid future problems. I always encourage young people to buy property on the basis of one income. Now, I appreciate that in Australia, particularly if you live in a metro city, that is now very difficult because of the absurdity of house prices, uh, but that's something I would seriously uh, consider. The big issue ultimately, though, is you want to know what your spending is going to look like. You know, all of a sudden you've got a few extra costs from having a baby. Um, 
and you're gonna have less income. So you wanna sort of do that kind of budgeting process beforehand so you know where you stand. Um, so Alex, that's very important. Some big assumptions, of course, uh, planning pregnancy. And, uh, you know, let's assume that you get married first and you make a plan for starting a family. Uh, not everybody has the plan in place and some of these things are accidental. But uh, uh, but there's a certain lot of things to talk about there. We are, uh, in fact, taking calls 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a question on our Facebook post today. It's entitled Ask Alex. You can't miss it. Facebook.com forward slash Vision Radio. Question here from, uh, from someone who has left a question saying my young adult sons are increasing their crypto investments what are your thoughts regarding crypto and cashless society predictions from the likes of barry smith years ago and uh, uh, i'm assuming you might remember uh, barry smith uh, and uh, his uh, sort of end times uh, focus there uh, any thoughts alex for uh, for someone who's concerned about their young sons and crypto <laughs> investments yeah Look, it's a very, very common one at the moment. Crypto has obviously captured people's attention given its uh, rapid rise over the last, and, and rapid fall, mind, mind you, in the last couple of weeks. It's halved in value. Um, look, to me, uh, crypto is highly, highly speculative in nature. Um, the technology that sits behind it, I think, is fascinating, the blockchain technology. And I suspect that technology is starting to make its way into various uh, commercial uh, forms of use. Um, I am very sceptical, um, though, when it comes to Bitcoin and all these different... Uh, if you ask any of my friends, I'll tell you I'm a, <laughs> I'm, I'd be borderline anti it. Um, I think it's very speculative. I think people will lose a huge amount of money over it. Um, I think it's very difficult to work out uh, what it's really worth. Uh, the predominant reason people are buying it is because it's going up. In other words, they're only buying it because it's going up, uh, and therefore they... You know they feel they're missing out on this on this new thing. Um, I suspect a lot of money will be lost over the next five to ten years from it. Uh, some of them may well survive though, in the sense that I do think um, you know with some of them there are genuine uses for them. Uh, but overall, there's no there's very limited real, real transactions going on in the real world with these kind of things. Um, I think they'll also be heavily subject to regulation in the future, um, which a lot of crypto people think, you know, it's decentralized and away from government regulation. I think uh, they're kidding themselves. I think uh, it will be subject to significant regulation. Um, and so, yeah, to me, if people are listening who are going down this path of crypto, uh, my view is if you do go down this path, and I, I know plenty of people who have, uh, is that you allocate a tiny portion of your capital to it, as in <laughs> less than 1%, uh, less than 1% or 2%, because otherwise you're putting your, um, your finances, I think, at significant risk. There's um, a generational thing going on, isn't there, with cryptocurrency, uh, where young people are prepared to take big risks. And perhaps it's in the marketing, it's in the bubble that you're in on social media, and uh, everybody's talking about it. And if you get into that bubble, you'll be uh, exposed to all sorts of thoughts around cryptocurrency. Uh, for that person who uh, left that note on Facebook, uh, the the idea of a parent who might be thinking, yes, I want to encourage my 
adult children into some investment strategies, uh, you might take a cautious approach, but that would be something to encourage, wouldn't it, Alex? Oh, absolutely. And so, look, I'd say that if you're a parent, you're thinking, okay, my kids are starting to dabble in this area and an area which is speculative. What you want to say to your kids is, look, saving for the future is is critical. Um, and you want to buy into things that have a track record. So if you t- take, you know, the classic blue chip shares, you know, big companies that have been around for 50 to 100 years, companies that are likely to be around in the future, and you're investing in things that are going to last, things that are high quality. Um, and the, the really the message for your kids is that saving is a good thing, trying to save a certain percentage of your income. And I always say, you know, try and save at least 10% of your income. And then putting that money to work in legitimate, high-quality investments that are likely to do well over the long term. You know, so that could be through high-quality managed funds or blue-chip shares. There's lots of different ways of doing it. Um, But the main issue is that you're teaching them that discipline of what I call deferred consumption, you know, saving and buying quality. Once you go into the crypto space, you're really getting into high risk, uh, and it's big win, big loss, uh, you know, scenario. Um, One comment, though, that the... Your, the, the, the listener asked on that on your Facebook page there, Neil, was about the future in terms of cashless society. Yep. Um, look, I think that is absolutely inevitable. Um, governments want it because that way there'll be absolutely no way people can evade their, their taxes. Um, and I think there's a global push for cashless. And I think in one sense, cryptocurrency is preparing the younger generation for that. Now, whether it happens in 10 years, 20 years, because there's lots of very pr- uh, practical issues, particularly in the third world, which is often still very cash dependent. Um, but yeah, I think cash to society is absolutely inevitable. Uh, I just don't know how quick it'll happen, but it is happening quickly. I mean, if you look at young people today, they don't carry cash at all. They, you know, they, they do tap and go on their Apple Watch uh, and so forth. And that's absolutely inevitable. Uh, inviting listeners talk back line open 1-800-316-316 it could be a deep topic if we get right into that whole cashless society and things that are upon us right now things that christians have been predicting for a long long time but let's come back to our topic around young parents Uh, the idea of preparing financially when starting a family. And, uh, you know, we said, well, maybe you wouldn't put the cart before the horse. Uh, You get married and you plan a family. Uh, When you said, Alex, that, you know, you plan a purchase of a house on the idea of two incomes and you expect that when you've started your family, you're either juggling things or coming back to one income, Some listeners might be thinking about government payments in all of this because the government does like to invest in the rising generation and keep a workforce active. What are your thoughts about government payments? And uh, if you are in the situation, going back to one income. Yeah, look, there are significant government payments these days. And so um, I'll I'll run through a few of the basic ones. But the main uh, comment I'd want to make to listeners is just to do your homework here through the various government websites like Centrelink and so forth. Uh, and the key issue you're trying to ultimately determine is your eligibility, okay? Because there's a few different types. So, for example, there's paid parental leave, which gives you up to 18 weeks of the minimum wage. Uh, there's also a paid dad or uh, partner leave. Uh, then there is, uh, and one, a very common one for many couples, particularly when they go down to one income, is the family tax benefit, A and B. That's, that's very, very widespread and well used. Um, and that's essentially... Uh, a, a, you know, a regular fortnightly payment that Centrelink will make to you 
on the basis of your income. So they do what's called an income test to see what you're earning um, as a couple, and then you can get that income supplemented through family tax benefits, A and B are the two different types there. Um, a very common one, of course, um, for most people eligible for is the childcare subsidies. You know, a lot of people, you know, they go back to work and of course they need somewhere to put their, their young child. And so childcare subsidies is a, is a huge one. Uh, and another one, of course, is the newborn upfront payments and there's some supplements there. So the key issue here is, are you eligible? And the way you work that out is just jump on these government websites, you know, like Centrelink and so forth, and you can get that information very, very easily. It's very readily available, um, but you just need to do a bit of homework to make sure you're, you, you know, you get them and you maximise those benefits. Uh, this actually is a huge topic to talk about, the contemplation of having children. And I wonder whether, Alex, it's worth considering the overall cost of raising a child. Every now and then there'll be media articles uh, that talk about the huge <laughs> expense that you're up against if you're going to raise a child right through those primary and secondary school years and into university. And uh, yep. it, it looks overwhelming. And uh, for some people who are only financially uh, bound by their thoughts about these things, that could be a scary thing, couldn't it? Oh, look, and, and it, it can be, because you hear figures, you know, of three or $400,000 or half a million dollars. You see all these kind of figures bantied about. The, the reality is most people can afford these things just through uh, their ordinarily, you know, day-to-day -day cash flow. Uh, it's just a case of plan doing a bit of basic planning. So I'm not suggesting any, you know, in-depth anything you know but it's just a case of getting control of the spending the area that's going to cause all the stress in a marriage particularly when young children come along is you've got a finite level of income you've got certain amount of expenses and a lot of people really just don't know where their money goes they just don't know they've never done a budget they've never looked at it um, and there's lots of very easy ways around that i mean there's very good apps that you can automate this process uh, you can do a, a budget on your ex on an excel spreadsheet but the key issue is that you know how much money is coming into your household and how much money is going out if i ask the average listener uh, and i ask the question do you know what your monthly surplus income is I would suggest that probably 80% of people couldn't answer it. Now, I'd just say that, you know, it's 20 years giving financial advice. Most people can't answer that. Mm. Um, and that's what you need to know because your surplus is your buffer. And, of course, it's your future for saving and for all sorts of things. Um, so for, for young people, you've really just got to prepare by making sure you get control of your spending and you know where your money's going and you know what your future costs are going to be. So you know that childcare may be an option. You know that private schooling may be an option. You know some of these things that are coming down the pipeline um, and you can plan for them. The area that's also often very overlooked is insurance. You know, all of a sudden you've got potentially a mortgage plus a young family and do you have enough life insurance? Do you have income protection? If you're unable to work or if you passed away prematurely, they're things that are very, very overlooked by young couples who need them when they're in that phase of having, you know, this beautiful young family in their life. They need uh, to make sure they've got those building blocks there. Alex, just to top off our conversation, I can hear uh, the odd uh, brain rattle uh, from a listener or two who might be saying, well, all of this preparation makes it sound so hard. Uh, aren't we Christians? Don't we have faith in God that when we'll have children, uh, everything will be wonderful? 
Uh, when we talk about a biblical perspective on this, uh, you might say, cast caution to the wind and say, I'm living by faith. Or is the biblical position actually the preparation and stewardship? Uh, give us a, a, just a brief insight here because some listeners will be thinking, uh, what's a biblical sound way of thinking about how I approach family and uh, in having children? It's a, look, a great question. Obviously, as Christians, we're called to live by faith. Um, and therefore, we need to trust God for his provision in our lives. Uh, and we also need to be good stewards with what he's put in our hands. In other words, we, we take the assumption that the money that he has given us um, is uh, from him. It's for him. It's for his glory. And of course, it's to meet our needs uh, and for our families. So we have to have that mindset that we're managing the money on behalf of God. Um, but where I think faith uh, and foolishness sort of potentially meet is there's a great passage in Scripture that says, a sensible man prepares for problems ahead. Um, the simpleton never looks and suffers the consequences. So I believe there's an onus in Scripture to prepare for things in the future. Now, we don't know the future. You know, the Bible makes it very clear that no one knows what's coming next. I mean, we know some of the big picture end times things that we can try and interpret. But ultimately, we don't know what's going to happen day to day. We don't know what's going to happen to our health and all those kind of things. And so the Bible says a sensible man prepares for problems and prepares to meet them. And so I think that is acting out of good stewardship and that's acting faithfully uh, by um, uh, by preparing. And so, yes, there's a balance of faith, but to me, faith is more about trusting in God. It doesn't negate the need to prepare. Okay, we are out of time. Alex Cook, always so good getting your insights. And for listeners who want to be connected to Alex, there's a website, wealthwithpurpose.com, and there are some free ebooks, the My Toolkit, free videos and podcast content that you can access for those Christian foundations to how you approach financial management in your life, in your family. You can also follow Alex on Facebook and on Twitter. There is an email address too, which is an Ask Alex email, askalex at wealthwithpurpose.com. Alex, great again. Thanks so much for joining us on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.